Let's turn together now back to Paul's first letter, Thessalonians, and chapter number 5, and reading at verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you as faithful, he will surely do it. And so on. Now, as we arrive at today, we have uh, been undertaking our own journey through the letters of Paul, and we have been doing so looking at uh, parting counsel that we have in different parts of Paul's letters and, and trying to learn some lessons from these parting words and uh, doing so in order to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we know, of course, that uh, Paul is someone who was saved by Jesus Christ, who was sent out by Jesus Christ with a specific mission. And that mission was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world. Uh, And we did notice that he was saved in AD 33, that he died probably A.D. 66. So for 33 years, he served the Lord Jesus faithfully. He planted many churches, and he was continually involved with all of these churches. This church in Thessalonica, uh, it was a church which was planted very early on, and this letter was written to this church in A.D. 50. And when we come To look at this church, it's a church that's very much in its infancy. It's what uh, nowadays we would call a new church plant. It's something that's close to being brand new. So there are so many lessons we can learn from a church in its infancy from this letter. And when we go into the second letter, we see that things move on and they face other challenges. And we come here, of course, in this uh, section of this first letter to look at his final instructions and the way in which he encourages the people in Thessalonica. Don't block your relationship with God. Don't press the pause button on your faith. Don't stop in a lay-by as you journey on through life. So many important lessons packed into these short verses from verse number 16 down to verse number 22. A lesson for every day as to the way in which they are and we can live as those who are the children of God, who are disciples of the Lord Jesus in the world. And then he comes to this closing and final, what we call a benediction. It's a message to this people to encourage them. He has told them in the first part of the chapter that they belong to a specific day. And not the day in which they heard the gospel first, not the day in which he wrote this letter. They belong to the specific day of the return of Jesus Christ. And we ought to remind ourselves that as the people of God, that's the day we belong to. And to belong to that day, we need to know salvation in Christ. But we belong to that day and Jesus coming for his people on that day. And against that kind of back, we want to, to think today of of a parting prayer for God-given perfection. What else is more important? I want to think, first of all, that we see in the passage, passion. It's so great to be 
passionate about something. And all of us, I'm sure, are passionate about certain things in our own lives. But we see in this passage that Paul is passionate about two things. Or Paul is passionate about two people. And when we look at the life of Paul, he is passionate, first of all, about his God. He is passionate, first of all, about his Saviour. And we see that this prayer of his in verse 23 begins with, Now may the God of peace. Why is he passionate about God? Because he has discovered this God as the God who is the God of peace. And Paul, with his Old Testament hat on, will understand peace not simply as an absence of hostilities. He will understand peace in the shalom sense of the Old Testament, where it means the the well-being of the whole of life, and which means ultimately the peace of God, which dwells in the paradise of God, and the peace that God prepares for his people. And when Paul thinks about his God, yes, he thinks of the, the peace of the paradise of the Garden of Eden, when God was walking with Adam in the garden. He thinks of the, the peace, the rest of God, when, when God finished the works of creation and rested on the seventh day. He thinks of the peace of God and, the, and a peace that God himself enjoys. And we, we cannot think of God in a passionate biblical way without understanding, first of all, that there is a tranquility and peace in God that belongs only to himself and that he is willing to impart to us in our lost world. And that was Paul's experience. He came to experience that, that this God of peace is the God who makes peace through the blood of the cross. There is the peace which God enjoys in himself There is the peace that he wants to impart to those whom he has loved in the world before ever the world was. And that peace is going to be enjoy them at a great cost. And when Paul met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he tells us that beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he tells us that the God who said, let light shine in the darkness, the peace of the paradise of the Garden of Eden, the God who said that has now shone in our hearts to give what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when Paul saw that light on the way to Damascus, he saw the glory of God, he saw the, the beauty of Christ, and he saw the peace of God that that was his now through the very Jesus that he wanted to destroy, who had been crucified outside of Jerusalem. The Jesus whose followers he was determined to wipe out from the face of the earth. And going on his determined way that God met with him and that Jesus met with him and his world was brought to a, a halt We shouldn't say it was a car crash. It was the intervention of God that forevermore changed his life. And from then onwards, he knew God as the God of peace. 
and he refers to, to this God of peace so often in such a passionate way. But he refers to him in the letter to Ephesians in a way which, which in a way gives an insight into his very thoughts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His passion is summed up in the way in which he sees God the Father sending God the Son to die on Calvary's cross so that God the Holy Spirit would, would be given to Paul and to everyone else who believed in his name. Paul is passionate about God, this God of peace. And that's why he says to the church in Corinth, the love of Christ controls us. And the gospel is here, and we are here today because we are passionate about the God who is such a great saviour. And the moment that, that, that I walked in here 23 years ago, if I didn't have that passion for that same God and that same saviour, then I shouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have been here. And we come to this juncture today and we are here and we need to reflect on our own sense or lack of passion for the same God. That everything else is meaningless. Everything else falls into the categories which he wants us to avoid in these earlier verses. Do you have passion? And are you, have, are you passionate about the God who loved with such a great love? And are you passionate about the beauty of such a saviour? The passion for God, the passion for Jesus. The second thing Paul was passionate about, and that was people. From that moment, he saw the glory of Christ, and he saw a people that needed to be saved. And when he has this closing prayer, we read, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. This is for you in Thessalonica. Who, who, who are you? We see earlier on in this section that he is addressing them as brothers. They're not strangers. They're not acquaintances. They are people who share the same passion. They are people who share the same father. They are people who share the same saviour. We ask you, brothers. They are in the same family. And on 12 occasions through this letter, he reminds them that this is how he sees them. They are his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And when we look more closely, we see the way in which he is really passionate about them. And in, in the second chapter, he, he describes in, chapter, in verse 7, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. What passion. We were like a father with his children. In verse number 11. And when he was separated from them, we were torn away from you. He's passionate about his people. He was 
with them and with the gospel, and he was there as, as one of themselves. He is passionate about people. And we, we can think of these people in Thessalonica, and we can think of the way in which he is writing to them. And he wants them to, to cast their minds back to the way in which he was w- with them, when he was with them. Gentle and nourishing, because his passion was for them and for their salvation. His passion was for them so that they would be nourished and fed and built up in the faith. His passion was such that he was so knit together with them in their hearts that he wanted nothing but what he had himself and perhaps even more. Because such was his passion that he always was ready to deny himself as his Savior did so that others, the people of God, the Church of Christ, would have the blessing. A passion for people. And I remember sensing a call to ministry and the first sense of that call was a care for people and a love for people and a desire for people to know the same Jesus that I was privileged to discover more and more about. And that passion for people is at the very center of of the ministry of the gospel that carries the sermons of Jesus Christ through life. Like a nursing mother. And I look out to you today and, and I see empty places where there were people that, uh, that we love to care for. And I look out today and, and I, I see those that we still love to care for. And love to care for in the sense that, that, that you will know yourselves the passionate love of Jesus for you. So that no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what happens today, no matter what happens in the future, that you will understand that, that God has a passion for people like you. And that his love is for you to know your salvation. A passion. And the more there is that passion, the more there is today the, the sense of, of what Paul himself had, feeling that he was torn away from them for a period. The passion means there's pain. So there is passion for God and Jesus. There is passion for the people of Thessalonica. And there is the pain that arises from that very passion. The passion. Secondly, there is prayer. Where there is passion... There is prayer. And where there is no prayer, there is no passion. The prayer. There is a prayer for their well-being. May this God of peace sanctify you completely. Set them apart completely to God himself. And I want us to think of, of this whole idea of sanctification today uh, without going into the, the detail of the theology of it, to think of it in three ways or three particular aspects. And the first of these is 
that sanctification belongs to Jesus. And Jesus, in praying to God the Father in John 17, he, he, he says to the Father, Sanctify them through the truth. For their sakes I sanctify myself. Sanctification. Where do I see sanctification in the life of Jesus? I see it when I see Jesus hanging on the cross. He has consecrated himself 100% to the will of God, to the purpose of God for our salvation. And the moment that he gives his life, the moment that he suffers for our sin, he has set himself apart as a sacrifice to God to bring about a reconciliation, sanctification in the person of Jesus. Sanctification number two. It's in the life of Paul and all those who have a passion for Jesus. It's what happens when, when God comes to save us and when God comes to call us to himself, to summon us from where we are or where we were and to bring us close to himself in a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ. We are sanctified. We are set apart. And Paul speaks of that in the writing to the church in Corinth. They are, they are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Sanctification in the moment, the day in which we are converted. And sanctification, thirdly, in the way in which God changes our lives. The way in which God transforms us from that moment of our conversion and changes us every day to be, to be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How great the change, the, the distance between what Jesus is like and what you and I are like in the moment of our conversion. God has a great work to do to take this to look like that. And God has a great work to do to take this and to take you and me to look like Jesus. It's a great work. Sanctification. And here, what does Paul want for them? He wants that that sanctification will be complete. Total sanctification. Complete sanctification. And total in the sense that what was unlike Jesus has brought to be 100% like Jesus. The process of sanctification has been completed. And today, my prayer for you, all of you, is that God would do the same. That he would show you the sanctification in the cross of Jesus that he would come into your life and set you apart in a saving relationship with Jesus and that he would begin this great change that only he can master, that only he can complete. And as, as we go our separate ways today, leaving this prayer with you and not stopping to pray this prayer, that God will sanctify you completely. That the day will come when you will be so like Jesus that God our Father will look down and he will be pleased in you. And we see 
the extent to which Paul prayed that in writing to the Galatians where he, where he says that he was in the anguish of childbirth longing and waiting to see Christ formed in them. His passion comes through in his prayer. He is at pains longing to see that great change. And today that's the prayer that, that, that I offer to God for you. That that process will, be, will continue. And that you will not do anything to stand in its way. And, and God will complete the process. And if we do anything to stand in its way, it will bring about pain for us. But God will do. He will sanctify completely. And when he is praying that for them, he goes further than that. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole spirit. That, that sense of, that principle of life in you, that, that, that sense of your thoughts, your thinking. The Paul says, no one knows the, the thoughts of a man, but the spirit of that person. And so he's praying that, that their whole spirit, that all of their thinking and all of their choosing, that everything that they do in their minds and their hearts, all the days of their lives, that that will be kept. Their spirit. Their soul, that God breathed into him in that day of creation. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And then the body he wants to include the body in this. He's not just interested in them coming to faith. He is interested in seeing their whole bodies changed into the glory and the beauty of, of Jesus Christ himself. And there is, there is something missing in our prayer today if, if our, our prayer does not go beyond where we are in this world, does not go beyond this body in which we live, in which we exercise faith. The prayer reaches out and goes to the very place where spirit, soul, and body are kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ, the complete person, so that today God takes all your thoughts God takes all your plans. God takes all your choosing. And praying that God will keep that blameless. Praying that, that God will take your, your very life, the essence of your being, that God will keep that blameless. And your body as well, kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or kept blameless into the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want us to, to think of, of being kept blameless in approaching, or outside of this day, is, is kept blameless when we enter into this day. It's where he tells them they're going, they belong to that day. 
And whatever their day is in the world, the day is coming when they will be in the day of the Lord. And he prays for them that they would be kept blameless. And blameless in the Old Testament was to be without blemish. Blameless was not to have anything missing. And he is praying for them that that they will be kept so that when they go into the day of Jesus, there will be no blemishes. So that when they go into the day of Jesus, there will be nothing lacking. But that in that day, God will see them and God will welcome them because of the way in which they reflect his own handiwork and his own fingerprint and reflect the very glory and passion of his own son kept blameless and our prayer today is that one day you will you and I will not be in these bodies but that we will be in the body that is like the glorious body of Jesus in Philippians 3. The body that's like the spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15, that our bodies will be transformed and that we will stand around the throne of God on the day of the Lord Jesus, not as completely different because we will be ourselves, but transformed to be like the older brother in the family. And today we, we see one another changing. And in the words of the hymn writer, decay and all around I see. But this prayer goes beyond that. We recognize the decay. We recognize that we, we are not what we were in our appearance or, or in, in our ability or in our strength or whatever. There is that process of decay that continues until the day that we leaves this world. But that process of decay will encounter God in the day of Jesus and the decay will, will come to an end. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The prayer for that perfection and that perfect transformation to be like Jesus. And what a wonderful thought that the day would come when you and I would, would see one another in, in the glory of Christ and God's throne and be unrecognizable from what we are today, thankfully, but be so transformed into the beauty of Christ that we can see this prayer answered and this longing of God himself for us having been satisfied and fulfilled, changed into the likeness of Jesus. The passion, the prayer. And in conclusion, there is the promise. How is all this possible? How do you think it's going to happen? It's impossible that you and I could, could ever achieve this. 
even with the help of other people, it's not going to happen. What is the promise? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And Paul has said to them earlier on that in chapter 4 that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is not just Paul's prayer. It's actually the purpose and will of God. And what he is praying for them is what God has purpose to do. And he brings everything back to, to his passion for God. How does he know this God? He knows him as a loving God. He knows him as a compassionate God. He knows him as a God who is, who is gracious. But he also knows him as a God who keeps his word. And when he prays, he prays believing. And he prays believing that the one who calls you is faithful, he will certainly do it. And as we close, let's grasp that great promise that this is not like a project that you and I would have. This is not like a vision that, that, that you and I would have. This is not like the promise of a politician. Promises that fall by the wayside day by day. No. This is the God concerning whom the Bible says that it is impossible for this God to lie. And that seeking to encourage his people and to give them an assurance of his commitment to them that he has sworn on himself that he will surely do it. And we, we go forward with our trust in that God and knowing that all of his purposes will be fulfilled. And as our prayers grow into embracing the promise of God, we will have the growing assurance and the sense that yes, God is doing this. And in our parting today, we pray that that's the sense we would all have of God. We'd have our own passion for him because of Jesus. Our own growing passion for him because we know that the Bible is true as the word of God that his promises that he is faithful and that all of his promises are yes for sure in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, we do continue in the worship of your name and we offer to you our prayers and we look to you as the God who uh, can answer our prayers and the God who will fulfill your purposes, what you have determined to do. There is no one that can stand in your way, and we are thankful for that today. And we pray that you will bless your word to us, that you would bless it to us in our hearts individually and personally, that you would bless it to us on, on this occasion of our gathering together and of uh, the moment of, uh, in many ways, as far as ministry is concerned, going our separate ways. We pray that you will help us to lay hold of you as the God who never changes and as the God who will never separate yourself from your people and as the God who has your children in your hand and no one is able to pluck them out of your hand. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Well, the psalm is psalm number 45, the first version of the psalm. In the Scottish Psalter, it's on page 268. I'm reading a version number 14. There's another psalm about Jesus as God's King and the Church as the Bride of Christ. Psalm 45 at verse 14 on page 268. She shall be brought unto the king in robes with needle wrought. Her fellow virgins following shall unto thee be brought. To the end of the psalm to God's praise. She shall be brought unto the king in robes with needle when I announced my retirement back in May, I did say that this was going to be a metagama moment for me, and so it proves to be. We are thankful to God for his strength and for his upholding. The Paul about whom we discussed much today was a Paul who, writing to Timothy, said, the time of my departure has come. That was on a different occasion, we trust, but it was a time of departure. And as we reflect on that, a time of departure is always a time of, of looking back and of considering in many ways the ways in which we live our lives under the shadow of God. We have been on a journey together. For 23 years we have walked a path through life that's equal to one-third of most people's lifetime. The journey has taken us to unexpected places with unexpected people. The unexpected places were sometimes times of sorrow, times of sadness, times of even tragedy and loss. The unexpected places were also sometimes times of joy and friendship and fellowship in births and in marriages. We have had tears of joy and tears of sorrow, and our tears 
are all in God's book. Their lives have been woven together with bonds which we believe can never be broken. And that's why we prayed the prayer of Paul today. So I do want to give thanks to you. Paul said, I thank God on every remembrance of you because I have you in my heart. And I do want to thank you for your support and for your expressions of friendship down through the years and your kindness showed in so many ways and sometimes in perhaps things that you considered were nothing. But these are perhaps the moments that were perhaps key more than any of the other times in life. So we thank God for your support. But of course, it was in the first place a journey with God He has taken us to unexpected places. He has met us in unexpected ways. The God who calls and the God who sends is the God who promises to be with us and who promises to bless his word has proved to be faithful. And when we reflect on all of these years, God promises to bless his word and we have wept tears of joy and perhaps tears of sorrow under the ministry of God's word. God is faithful. God promises to build his church and down through the years we have seen the different ways in which young and old have come to faith. We are thankful that God has shown that he is building his church. And God also promises to take his people home. And we reflect on 23 years and we have lost many whose godliness was indeed the fragrance of Christ himself. They were the salt of the earth and they were the light of the world and God is faithful and he has taken some beautiful people home to be with himself. And on that journey with God we are, we are thankful to God for, for his faithfulness, for, for his encouragement and for the wonder of his grace and for the mystery of his purposes that he works everything for good to those who love him. It was a journey with God. But it is today, in many ways, a journey that comes to an end and partings are never easy. There is an anonymous quote which goes like this, Goodbyes are only for those who love with their eyes. Because for those who love with heart and soul, there is no such thing as separation. That's so full of meaning. If we love with our eyes, then goodbyes are easy. But if we love with our hearts, Their goodbyes are are very painful. Farewells are much better. And Richard Bach said, Don't be dismayed by goodbyes. A farewell is necessary before you can meet again. And meeting again after moments or lifetimes is certain for those who are friends. But I want us to think today that Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And he said to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And today, if we are the friends of Jesus, then whatever happens in life, whatever we go in life, we can know for certain that as those who are friends, who are friends of Jesus, that we will meet again and that It will be not a goodbye, but it will be a farewell. And on that great gathering, when God God will gather all of his people from the four ends of the earth and gather them around the throne of God, 
And then, in the words of Paul himself, the people who will be his joy and his crown on that great day around God's throne, what a blessing that would be. And that will be for us if we, are, we stand together and we recognize the, the work of God and where you can be my joy and crown as those who have been on this journey uh, with me and with us and whom God has blessed on that journey. May that be the case, that at the right hand of Jesus we may see each other and rejoice for the blessings that God gave to us. And we're going to have two benedictions today because I think the words of, of Jude in verses 24 and 25 are, are so apt. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. The benediction of God. Thanks be to God for his goodness, for his unspeakable gift of Jesus, for his unspeakable gift of the message of the gospel and for the unspeakable gift of personal salvation. May God bless these thoughts to us. We stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.